welcome back to this week's edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I am your host, Colby Conway, at Colby R. Conway on Twitter. And with me, as always, for the second time now, is at the salesman on Twitter, Matt Sells. So, Matt, how are we doing on this fine Monday afternoon here as we're recording? I'm doing pretty good. Um, my other sport that I cover here is NASCAR, and that got kicked off on Sunday uh, with the clash at the L.A. Coliseum. So that was pretty sweet to see race cars on the field at the L.A. Coliseum on a quarter-mile track. That was pretty fun. Um, but what's not fun is we didn't get any good news about baseball last week. Uh, in fact, the players decided not to have a mediator come in to mediate this lockout, which makes sense. But now it's up to them to uh, prove why they don't need one. So hopefully that gets, uh, you know, rolling here quickly because they're about to lose spring training games. Absolutely. And you mentioned it with NASCAR. I'm not a big NASCAR fan or enjoyer of the sport myself. But, you know, if you're in the Discord, uh, Matt, you put in some picks there. I saw a lot of green check marks in some of the picks that you had made. So make sure you're checking that out in the Discord as well as all the other channels that are there. But you kind of led me right into my, what my first question was going to be in regards to the lockouts. They got the federal mediator and it was ultimately declined. And if you go on Twitter and you look at the uh, MLBPA's Twitter account, you see a lot of retweets from what players are saying. Um, and there's some pretty notable names in there as well. Like Max Scherzer's talking about what exactly they want, where a system where threshold and penalties don't function as caps, allows younger players to realize more of their market value. Um, but the big ones that I'm seeing, and I'm curious your thoughts here, Zach Britton and Whit Merrifield are the two that I'm seeing here. But basically, their main argument is in order to get a collective bargaining agreement done, there's got to be some sort of bargaining. I mean, it's in the it's in the word. So, I mean, are you surprised that the mediator was declined? And the, the optimist in me was hoping that we wouldn't exactly have to talk about this here into this week. But here we are. So kind of what are your thoughts with the recent news from this week of the lockout? So I'm not surprised that the mediator was turned down because let's face it. Uh, the commissioner, Rob Manford, said we're going for a lockout to increase negotiation, like to make sure negotiations happen. The owners voted to lock the players out. The players didn't. It's not the players lockout. It's the owners and the commissioners lockout. They, the commissioner and the owners, said that they would counter the player's offer within two days. They didn't. Instead, they asked for a third-party mediator to come in. And so all the players want is for them to come to the table and talk about stuff. Because it turned out that the last time we talked about this, when they had talked about things, they got some ground-level agreements done, right? They're still millions of dollars apart. But they both agreed that, you know, service time should, you know, maybe adjust. And they both agreed that there should be a bigger pool available for younger players. So the owners only wanted like 10 million and the players wanted like 100 something million. So it's kind of a long ways off. But I'm not shocked that the players turned it down. And I think what the owners are forgetting is that this is the first work stoppage of baseball in which social media is playing a role, right? In the 94 strike, there was no social media. There was barely internet. There was barely texting. So all you had was the owners with access to the media and the players trying to go, well, uh, that's not what I said. Now the players can come out and say, hey, this is exactly what we want. 
We are a united front, as you can tell, based on all of the tweets basically sounding the same and having the same talking points. And so I'm I'm not all that shocked that we're at where we're at. Uh, I tend to agree that the players should be seeing a bigger pool of the money. I tend to agree that the younger players should be seeing a bigger pool of the money sooner. I also tend to agree that service time gets manipulated. Just ask Chris Bryant about that one when he got sent down to work on his defense and he won a gold glove like in his rookie year. So, yeah, I'm fully behind the players on on this one. It makes no sense what the owners are doing at this point. It seemed seemed to me almost that the, the mediator was an attempt from ownership to almost have a quote unquote neutral third party come in to say the players are almost being unfair. It's kind of what it almost seemed like to me. Now, of course, the federal media is supposed to be a neutral third party. So, you know, they're neutral, unbiased, everything like that. But to me, that's kind of what it seemed like from the outside looking in. I personally love when the players come out and talk about it because it gives us that insight, you know, that we had that we didn't really have before. And when you look at it, the big one for me as a a fan and obviously being a uh, fantasy baseball player is the service time manipulation. We know those players are ready come March 30th, March 31st, April 1st, they don't need two more weeks. Isn't going to fix anything. The defense is a sham that that is just a comment that they make to try to justify it. And then, you know, once the April 14th, April 15th hits, boom, you know, Chris Bryant's able to come up. He's ready now. Defensively, he's ready. It was those extra two weeks, those extra 500 ground balls he took over 14 days is the matter of fact that really pushed him over the top. But yeah, one one last thing about the lockout, just because I'm curious, you kind of already touched on this indirectly, but I'm just going to throw it out there. Marcus Stroman, one of the more outspoken players in baseball, great follow on Twitter, very insightful, um, also just speaks his mind. And talking about, you know, it, the lockout essentially basically came out instead of calling Rob Manfred by his name, called him man clown and said, quote, man clown and his boys need to figure it out and stop ruining the game of baseball. So quick, kind of, you kind of already talked about that, but quick final thoughts there before we wrap up the lockout move into the, the next part here. I mean, I don't think it's any surprise the players have zero respect for Rob Manford, right? Like every move this guy has made has been met with um, disdain from just about everybody from shrinking the minor leagues to now. And so he costs, you know, players chances to develop or to find the diamonds in the rough that now won't get signed to the handling or not handling at all of the 2017 Astros and calling the World Series trophy a piece of metal to the stupid rule for putting a guy on second base uh, in extra innings to all of this uh, pace of play talk and then not following through and then coming up with a new way to shorten things. Like, the players don't like Rob Manford at all. I don't think anybody does. I think if you did a poll of fans, he might rank below Gary Bettman at this point, which is pretty hard to do. So, yeah, I don't think that the owners and the folks in the front office at Fifth Avenue have any idea that the players have this much talking power from Twitter. I think they completely underestimated that. So... I think that may be a turning point in these negotiations at this point. It'll be interesting to see what happens with the power of social media that we've seen have played out farther than the realm of Major League Baseball. So we'll see how that all pans out. But as we kind of wrap up the lockout talk here, we're going to bring back the segment that I was kind of hoping we wouldn't have to because I thought maybe the lockout would be over. But that isn't the case. So this week, we're going to talk about two reasons why it's tougher to draft in a lockout. We'll talk about what we said last week. 
But of course, we're going to bring back Between a Lock and a Hard Place. Between a Lock and a Hard Place. So last week, Matt, you kind of talked about it was injuries not having the insight into players who are recovering from injuries last year. And for me, it was talking about free agents. We're not going to have as much information where they sign leading into the season and those free agents that aren't able to sign a contract right now and get out there. So those are the two that we talked about last week. So Matt, I'll let you go first, but what is this week's reason as to why it's tougher to draft in a lockout? So in a lockout, right, we're not getting guys at team facilities at this point. Like in about a week, ordinarily, we'd see pitchers and catchers starting to show up. Um, You'd certainly be seeing hitters already starting to show up, too, because a lot of them actually show up earlier than they're set to just to get into a rhythm and get some more work done and whatnot. But we'd be getting a feel for guys who are coming off of bad years or guys who are coming off of, you know, huge years. Both have the same questions, right? Is that them or was that a fluke season? So drafting during a lockout kind of makes those questions bigger question marks as we're going into drafting them because you haven't really seen any baseball activities from them. You haven't seen, oh, if this guy's swing was messed up, have they put in any work at the training facility to fix that? You know, was he flying, you know, was a pitcher flying open too much and then leading to control issues? So now he's closing his hip and driving the ball more so he's more in control, right? We don't have those answers. So it's kind of up in the air, really, for a lot of these guys as to was that more the real them or was that a fluke year? And mine mine goes right along with essentially question marks. And that's really what it is. And for me, it's streaky players become even more high risk, high reward. Over the course of a full season, the highs and lows are going to level themselves out at some point for the most part. But when you go back to 2020, and I'm not knocking any of some of the players that went up there, but over the course of a quote unquote full season that we had in 2020, you know, you got guys like Dominic Smith, Mike Yastrzemski, Heimer Condelario are in the top 30 in baseball qualified hitters in the WRC plus category. So it works itself both ways. When you go to the bottom end of that, over the course of a full season, you know, I wouldn't expect to see guys like J.D. Martinez, Jose Altuve, Nolan Arenado, Austin Riley, especially now, but Marcus Semien, guys like that in the bottom 30 in terms of WRC plus. When you have a shortened season, a prolonged hot streak can very help you because they'll basically ride a hot streak the entire season. But at the same point, you know, you can almost get the other end of the spectrum, which is where someone has a rough slump and they never get to hit that patented hot streak that you see. An easy example is a guy like Javi Baez, very free swinging. He's going to strike out a lot, but eventually over the course of a whole season, as long as he's not swinging at balls that bounce three feet in front of the plate, it's going to work himself out. He's going to get you home runs. He's going to get you stolen bases. But when you look back in 2020, eight homers, three stolen bases. And when you have a 32% strikeout rate, if you can't turn it around in time, good luck. It's going to be very hard to return value. It's all about question marks for us this week. Um, I'm right there with you with the streaky with the streaky guys. Which streak are you getting? Are you getting a, sl- a cold streak or a hot streak to start things out? And and alongside that, with a lot of players, the most notable a guy like Byron Buxton, you're already paying for the top end of yep. the streak. So what happens if, you know, we had the issue of him hurting his tooth, biting into a piece of steak. Like what happens if you get some bad luck like that and you're already paying for the top end of the expected performance? Like you're paying for the ceiling already, which you need to be careful in and of itself. But when you're already paying for the ceiling, 
and you're adding risk of a shortened season, elevated injury risk and everything like that, it's tough. It's incredibly tough to draft right now. But if you're on Twitter and you've been following, you know, the likes of more other analysts in the industry, you're probably seeing some TGFBI, the great fantasy baseball invitational leagues have been announced. So figure to be a good idea here as people start formulating their strategy. If you happen to be in it or you play in leagues that follow uh, the KDS strategy, which is the Kentucky Derby system, which basically you pick, you rank where you would like to draft essentially. And then it's all automated. And if you're lucky enough where you get your first pick wherever you want, that's the spot that you are getting. So early on here, Matt, what do you think in terms of how like the ADPs are looking or how you like to formulate your team? Where do you think is your ideal spot that you'd like to settle in for drafting this year? So let's also keep in mind TGFBI, uh, for those that don't know, are 15 team leagues. So they're deep to begin with and they're loaded with all industry folks. So it's some of the sharpest drafters uh, around. So that being said, I tend to like towards the back end of the first round to start Um, because to me in a in a league that deep I want to see where the field plays out in front of me and then react and then be able to possibly start another run in the second round right because I'm going to get relatively close back-to-back picks so in that regard it kind of lets me figure out if I want to go hitter or pitcher see what the runs are looking like before I get there. So that's that's generally my strategy is I'll start with like 15 and then kind of rank them inverse of of that. I'm I'm right there with you. I, I my fantasy football ideology tends to come in with fantasy baseball as well as depending on what the top end talent looks like, I want a top three or four or a bottom three or four. That's just the way it happens. Look, I like to be closer to the turns. And this year I think for fantasy baseball we might see some pitchers pushed up higher than ever before just because the pitching landscape is changing. You have a drastically less number of pitchers that are going to see 200 innings. And, you know, win, wins are fluky. We all know it, but many leagues still value wins and how many guys get past that fifth inning at this point, let alone quality right. start. So I, I'm thinking for me, it's going to be a top, really maybe three pick. I would love to get Trey Turner or Fernando Tatis. I'm going to need a top three to do that most likely. Otherwise, I want to fall to the back. Maybe a Kyle Tucker slips to closer to the back end of that first round. Maybe if people are still worried about Ronald Acuna uh, as his ADP since January 1st is sitting right around pick 12, 13, 14 in that range. But looking at it here, just looking at the ADP per NFBC from January 1st, you like to draft towards the back end. We'll just use me as in the front end towards this. So right now, based off of ADP, if you have the 14th pick, your first three are looking like Max Scherzer, Mookie Betts, Tyler O'Neill. That's pick 14. Now, if you go up to pick number, let's say first overall, you're, go, you're starting off with Trey Turner, Jordan Alvarez, and Whit Merrifield. So of those two teams, which which would you rather build your team off of, at least of that starting trio? I mean, I'll take the back part on that one. Like, I know that it's like Trey Turner is – Unbelievable, right? I got to watch him up close in Washington for the first several years of his career. But again, um, you know, if I'm looking at ADP, I've still got really capable bats down there, and I've got some interesting pitchers. But here's the other thing. If I'm picking 14th or 15th, that means I'm going to get two of those guys that you just mentioned, right? You know, if you look at the two guys that I'm getting versus the two you're getting, the, the aggregate stats are probably 
um, more in my favor. Now, obviously, every draft is different, and somebody will like a guy that they're not supposed to like that early, and you'll luck into something. But I, I would rather take a shot on getting two of the four guys that you just named than knowing I'm going to get one of the guys and then having to see who falls to me 30 picks later. And that's 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 really the argument for if you want to pick in the front, you know, the front third, back third, or the top three or top four. That's ultimately what it comes to. Interesting, based off the current ADP in that example, if I were team one and I were to take Trey Turner, 11 pitchers go off the board before I even get to my uh, second pick. So I, I know last year my, my TGFBI team was decimated by injuries to an already weak pitching staff. So I might see myself investing a little bit more on the bump here for the for the 2022 season, but this will be fluid as ADPs move, and we'll talk more about different strategies and kind of where we like to play out in drafts. But just first look at the board here heading into some drafts coming up. It's a good idea to take a look at it there. And then speaking of ADPs, we'll move into this week's This or That. This or That. So, Matt, we talked about it last week. A couple guys that stand out at their ADP, and then I'm going to give you a choice between player A and player B. Uh, if we agree, we'll move on, and if we disagree, I'll tell you why you're wrong or you could tell me why I'm wrong, and we'll move on. But first one for me this week, Christian Yelich at pick 99. It seems like recent years you would need a top three, four, five pick to get him, and he's fallen off a bit here. So that one stood out to me. But what I'm going to put up to you is another bat who, well, there's some holes in his swing and some other issues. But right around the same ADP, would you rather have this year Cody Bellinger or Christian Yelich? Uh, I think I'm still going to stick with Yelich. Um, I know there's some injury concerns there for Yelich's back has been acting up on him the last couple of years, but assuming that he can stay healthy or at least mitigate that his swing is still generating very good contact is still generating a lot of pop good average. He's going to get on base. He can still steal the bags. Cody Bellinger. I mean, was basically relegated to a platoon guy last year and Barely saw time in the playoff run for the Dodgers. So that's tough for me to swallow at that point. I'm I'm going to go with Yelich, and I'll bite the bullet if he gets injured. But when he's healthy, that swing doesn't have any problems with it, and he's still generating uh, very good numbers when healthy. Bellinger hit a buck 50 against fastballs last year with an expected batting average of a buck 93. Can't and against can't that, that, it's worse. <laughs> yeah, and I, I can't have that. I am going Yelich as well. Sticking in the outfield, Jared Kalenic, uber, uber talented young outfielder coming in at pick 133. Now I'm going to throw a couple players in both directions of his ADP. So would you rather have Miles Straw at pick 128, Kalenic at 133, or former Pittsburgh great Austin Meadows at pick 140? Uh, I'm going to go with the middle choice here, and I'm going to go Jared Kalenic. Uh, I am a prospect guy. Doesn't mean that I get really, really high on prospects, but this guy is a guy you need to get really high on. Um, and if you can take him, I mean, at 133 in a 12-team league, that's after round 10, right? I mean, yeah, Miles Straw had a very good year for Cleveland last year, but you're just getting steals, right? You're getting some solid average, but you're basically just getting steals. Kalenic can produce the same number of steals as Straw, but he's got way more pop, right? We're talking about a guy who could easily be in the 30-30 conversation when he puts it all together um, and a very high batting average. So, you know, Austin Meadows is is intriguing there, but there's a little bit too much injury history for me. And 
To be honest, if he hits a cold streak, you never know what Kevin Cash and the Rays are going to do uh, with playing time. So I'm going to stick with Jared Kalenic. Absolutely. Kalenic, Scott, per our projections at FantasyAlarm.com, 26 homers, 14 stolen bases this season. I like that to be a four. He might be even better than I that. I think he's a 25-25 guy this year. There you go. Then at wherever his pick is, even if it was 30 picks higher, still a great value. And the last one for this or that will go to the mound for this one. Patrick Sandoval at pick 211. How about Sandoval? John Means about 15 picks later at 226. Or Texas's offseason signing John Gray at pick 250. So originally when I saw this comparison... I was really, really intrigued by these three, and I think it's a good, I think it's a good pairing between these three because you have some interesting, you know, Ken Sandoval reached the upside. We've seen him produce some pretty decent numbers uh, in a brief time in the majors. John Means gets a little bit of a boost from a changed Camden Yards, in which I think the left field in Camden Yards is now going to be the deepest in the majors, which is nuts. Uh, but I gotta go with John Gray at 250. John Gray has had major strikeout upside since he came into the majors. Yeah, he had to pitch a Coors. That was not great. But outside of Coors, he was really pretty good. And last year, he put it together to the point where he was pretty solid at Coors. Now he gets Texas, which is a big-time pitcher's park. And the AL West is a better pitcher's division than the NL West, and it's not even close. So I'm going to go with John Gray. I know the offense is still a little suspect, but wins are fluky even with the best offenses. So I'm going to take the savings, and I'm going to go with John Gray. I agree with you. Sandoval's a close second for me, led by his uh, by his changeup, which is one of the better changers in baseball last year. But for his career, for John Gray, that is, for his career, um, on the road, 9.47K per nine, 1.09 homer per nine on the road, moving to a better park. I will take a chance with Gray as well, take a little bit of savings with his first year outside of course on a regular basis. And of course, to go ahead and wrap up the this week's edition of the podcast, we'll talk about a couple players outside of the top 300 or so picks, including some even deeper um, that you need to be paying attention to for your drafts coming up. So the first one that I pointed out, and I'm a little biased because I am a pretty big fan of this guy heading into 2022, but I'll let you start with the analysis with him. But am I crazy for wanting to have Brandon Marsh on every one of my teams this year? I don't think you're crazy. Not at this draft spot. His ADP right now is 368. So that's, that's pretty good. The guy's pretty talented, right? So like the top two prospects in the Angels system were uh, Brendan Marsh, I mean, outside of, you know, once Joe Adele lost a uh, prospect counting, uh, Brendan Marsh and the guy we saw at first base for them last year. So Marsh has all the tools. He just needs to put it together in the majors and get playing time. I think the playing time will be there because there's not really anybody blocking him on a full-time basis. I mean, just think about who they ran out there when Mike Trout wasn't healthy last year. So, yeah, I'm... Um, I like Brandon Marsh quite a lot. He's got very intriguing tools, and he should, if he puts it all together, be hitting in the middle of an Angels lineup that's actually sneaky deep if, like, Anthony Rendon and Trout are healthy. So, And it, the thing with Marsh, it, he has some flashy numbers from last year. You can highlight the 95th percentile sprint speed, you know, 10.9% barrel rate and 92.1 exit velocity. Pretty solid numbers. Now, the only issues I have with him, but it's like we talked about last week, outside of the top 300, 
you're going to find reasons not to draft someone. If you can buy into a reason why, you go for it at this point. And for me, for him to really take that next step in the power department, last year, 7.9 degree launch angle has to improve. You, you don't hit many home runs on the ground. Just he's, he's fast. He's not fast enough to do it more often than that. So he needs to improve there. And he plays a very good defensive center field, which should buy him some time, or really just any outfield spot. He can be above average defensively. That should buy him some time. The only concern I have with playing time would be if the team checks out his 561 OPS against Southpaws last year and they try to platoon him. That's my only concern with Marsh. But if not, boy, I like him outside of the top 300. Double-digit homers, double-digit steals outside of the top 300. I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm tipping my hat here, but I I wouldn't be surprised if I end up with Marsh in 100% of my leagues this season. Yeah, and as for if he gets platooned, I mean, if he's on the short side of the platoon, it's a problem. But if he's right. on the long side of the platoon, that's not an issue because, again, there's not very many lefties in the league. So, And one last thing with him, 35% strikeout rate last year has to improve. Yes. Can't strike out. Can't strike out over a third of the time. That is not going Unless to Unless you're Javi Baez and you pull a magic trick. Exactly. So Brandon Marsh, a lot to like at pick 368. And actually the last one we'll go ahead and touch on here. We talked about him a little bit last week. It's a little bit trendy because you're seeing the stuff on Twitter. But Mitch Keller is free in drafts. I know it's been a putrid. Is, is that a good enough word to use for his start in the majors? But he was working with, um, I believe it was Tread, if I remember correctly. It was who he was working with. And you saw the pitches. He was pumping 98 consistently, topped out at 100.4. I know we try not to buy too much into the the offseason videos and best shape of their life season. But what we've seen with Keller since he came into the league was a decreasing fastball velocity. Back in 2019, around 95 miles an hour, and it's dropped since. He's free in drafts. I mean, it can't hurt to take a shot on a guy who was widely re- – he was widely regarded as the pitching prospect in Pittsburgh, if I'm not mistaken. Like, Glassnow and Tyon almost looked up to him in terms of what it was going to be like in Pittsburgh. So, I think he's free at 590. If the velo is going to be there, that's enough of a reason for me to take a take a chance on him late in drafts. Yeah, I, I would agree if the velo is back – it's good, uh, certainly, to get more velo. But the other thing is I saw more movement to the pitch. It wasn't just a flat. Like, anybody, if you throw 102 with no movement, any major league hitter is going to time you up. Like, that's just what they're going to do, right? It's the movement. It's the deception that that is what pitchers count on. So I saw a little bit more movement to his stuff. If you look in, you know, the last month or so of last year, he did get a little better. Um, he mixed up his pitches a little bit, and that, that seemed to help. Yeah, that ADP is too hard to ignore, basically. At 590, it's free. So whatever he does, if it's good, great. If it's bad, cut him. He was a free draft pick. doesn't really matter. The only downside to Keller is that the offense around him sucks. So there's basically no hope that he's going to get wins because there's nobody on that offense that's going to do. I can't say nobody. I mean, there's a couple of guys that are worth drafting in fantasy, but that's not going to help you get wins, basically. So, um, But I would take him as a, as a freebie for, like, a reserve pitcher just to see what he's got. It's why not, right? When you get to that point in the draft, take the chance. And the one thing, too, I'll implore everyone to go do, get over to Baseball Savant or wherever you tend to look at heat maps, he can throw a hundred, like you said, and it, it or, you know, and that's all fine and dandy all, but his heat map for his fastball last year is literally dead middle of the zone. You can't live there. Even, even a hundred in movement 
you, you have a better chance, but you still can't live in the middle of the zone. These days, everyone's throwing 95, 100 miles an hour. So you can't live in the middle of the zone. You just can't do it. Right. It's why the guys who are throwing under 95 are having more success now because everybody's bat is sped up. Yep. And it, it's all movement. Like I, I caught at the collegiate level and we, you know, guys who threw in the low 90s were much, but they were straight, were much easier to catch than someone who would throw in the mid 80s with a ton of movement. They were always harder to catch. And it's the same thing with guys in the box when it comes to hitting those types of pitchers. But that's a loaded, loaded second episode of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. So Matt, why don't you go ahead and tell everyone where they can find you and any other uh, upcoming content you got for the site or the draft guide. Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at The Salesman. That's T-H-E-S-E-L-Z-M-A-N. I'm talking baseball and NASCAR on there now, mostly. Um, So I'll be updating my prospect, my top 300 prospect list for the draft guy at some point this week. I'm going to include the international signings and, you know, any other news blurbs that we got on some guys. Because keep in mind, the lockout does not affect the minor leagues. Minor league season is happening. It's going off as planned. In fact, they just upped AAA to 150 games instead of 142. So that's good news for us. Um, And then NASCAR. There's no NASCAR race this week because it's Super Bowl, obviously. Uh, But starting with the Daytona 500, you can find, I don't know, five, six pieces of content a week from me uh, on DFS Alarm and PixWise. Uh, And that's every week between February 20th and November 6th is the NASCAR season. I get one. Matt Matt is a busy man. So make sure you're in Discord. Check out all of the, you know, any questions you have posted in there, any sport. We got channels for it. Get the uh, Jim Bones draft guide here at fantasyalarm.com. Make sure you're ready for once, you know, once the season does start, you know, if you play DFS, there's going to be all that there on DFS Alarm. So make sure you check all of that out. I'm on Twitter at Colby R. Conway, and we will see you next week with the next edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast.